3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Today is Wednesday, the 5th of September, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio's breakfast show on a Wednesday with me, Will. Uh, me, Edwin. And, and me, Judith, and I'm back. <laughs> Welcome back, Judith. Thank you. Welcome back. So, Judith, our uh, time in Canada, can we oh, Can we have a quick wrap-up, if uh, possible? It'll be really fast. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Ottawa Jazz Festival, so I heard some great acts there. Um, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Herbie oh. Hancock, and um, Chaka Khan, some, some of the highlights, and... Uh, uh, Tanya Tagak, who is an Inuit throat singer, who was amazing. Wow. Quite amazing. I think she's a dark mofo, actually. And have you got some of their music for us to play in the upcoming weeks? I do indeed. Ooh. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dear. like a treat for your ears, folks. Yeah. Really yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, I went to see the play The Fall. Oh, fantastic. Ooh. Yes, um, fantastic. which was by the uh, drama department at the University of Cape Town, which is also where the events depicted in the play happened. It's a play about... The student protest, and um, I think you'd fairly call it a student revolution that happened in mm. the University of Cape Town back in 2015. Um, wow. It initially was to do with the removal of um, the statue of Cecil Rhodes, who was the British colonial um, sort of conquistador who, yeah. um, who invaded and Tom sort yeah. of set off the, the murder of um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Um, um, but also it was more broadly about an intersectional movement for decolonization of the university and then of wider South Africa. And it was just really fascinating. So, like, I, I yeah, I'm still processing, really. Yeah. I, I saw the play back on Sunday and I'm still thinking about it every day. Um, it's such a great artwork and um, I'm, I'm really sorry that it's not running anymore, everyone, <laughs> at least oh. not in Melbourne. Yeah, but, but it's, um, not, it's good to know mm, about it because sometimes yeah. things come up again. But uh, I really understand what you're saying about processing you mm, know, something mm, that you've seen. Yeah. Sometimes it's a week later you'll say, oh, yeah. 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 Definitely, definitely. Um, I actually went to see a movie. I went to go see uh, the Black Clansman movie. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I'm uh, that know by how that Tyler Perry, you? the director? No, no. no. I will no. find the director Whoops. and let us know. Spike Lee. Spike Lee, that's uh, it. Yeah. Whoops. Very definitely a Spike Lee film. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean by the idea of processing it because sure. you have all this sensory overload and mm. like political message and mm. you've just got to go through it, break it down, figure out where you stand with it and like, you know, really, really come to terms with what you're looking at and what mm. you're processing it. So, yeah, mm. definitely. Whole experience. Yeah, well, it's on my list is probably the next film I'm going to see. We've yeah, no, definitely. Consumed a lot of culture, it yeah. sounds like. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah. Also, a lot of news. We've got some stuff coming up in alternative news, which will be the first thing up. But what's coming up later in the show? Well, after uh, 8 o'clock, around 8.15, mm-hmm. we'll be hearing a report from uh, the send-off of the cyclists for the Nobel Peace Ride. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll also speak to Jem Romold, uh, who's the... Um, 
the Australian director of ICANN, and she's one of the writers, mm. and she'll be telling us, you know, where they're up to. So yeah. basically... What does ICANN, yeah, um, just, just for the I'm sorry. No, it's always yeah. good. The International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Mm. They won the Nobel Peace Prize last year for mm. their work in getting up a, an international treaty to ban nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Australia has not yet signed that treaty. Uh, so all those 60 states have. And so a- anyway, what they're wanting to do is both make help more, you know, bring awareness to more people. They're carrying the medal. It's mm. kind of actually carrying the medal. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of sad that um, a, a organization set up in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, so that's hasn't right, signed right to its own treaty. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And, and largely ignored. So yeah. some of that, certainly some of the speakers talked about that, so mm. that will be in my report. Oh, brilliant. Beautiful. And then we'll speak to Jim to see how the ride's going. I'm taking it straight to Canberra. Uh, a little earlier in the show at 8 o'clock, we're expecting to be joined by Dr. Tim Jones, who is our cultural historian. And he's going to be speaking about Pentecostalism in Australia. Um, So some folks listening at home, the history of it. And, of course, it happens to be the religion of... um our current Prime Minister, mm. uh, who's uh, related to Hillsong Church. So uh, Tim's going to... Actually, know. I was going to say, sorry, Judith, um, I, yeah. you might have experienced this as well, being out of the country, seeing the leadership spill coming. <laughs> that was, yeah. was the most bizarre How thing. I, you know, it's almost about a 28-hour flight yep. from mm. Canada back mm. to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. When I got on the plane, Malcolm Turnbull oh. had just survived right. an attempted spill. Yeah. Yeah. When I got off the plane... Scott Morrison yeah. was the Prime Minister, so yes, bizarre yeah. indeed. No, yeah, I, had it, I had it going just, yeah. a day after, so I'd wake up to read what happened the day before, and it was like, you know, second leadership spell. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's bizarre, and, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose we are going to be talking alternative news shortly, but uh, one of the things that I'm, I've been aware of now is, is kind of what's happening in the Liberal Party around mm. the you know, accusations of bullying, around mm. the leadership spill, yeah. and, and where have the women gone? You know, Julie yeah. Bishop is not there anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And you've got um, right wing writers in the media writing her off saying, oh, she can't name a bully. Oh, she's, you know, she's not talked about her personal experience enough without detail. So. Yeah, and um, so a little bit earlier in the show, um, just before Dr. Tim comes in and talks to us about Pentecostalism, we're going to be hearing a feature on International, oh, sorry, Indigenous Women's Day, which is proposed for today. It's a movement in Latin America, but spreading rapidly around the globe oh, that's to recognise mm. the um, the rights and the contributions of Indigenous women to mm. um, all spheres of social justice activism um, and environmental uh, justice and in, activism, in certainly including the the nuclear activism. That's right. That's right. Yeah, mm. yeah. And then earlier in the show um, at 7.35. We're going backwards here. So 7.35 we'll be speaking to Debbie Brennan, who is a representative of the new anti-fascist organisation PUSH, spelt in all caps, PUSH with an exclamation mark. So every time you read it, it's very it's very energetic and exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to speak to Debbie Brennan about this new organisation and also about their statement um, condemning the federal government for its uh, lack of decision on um, Chelsea Manning's visa to come into Australia. Chelsea Manning... Um, some people may know, was booked in to speak yeah. in Australia, who's a, a prominent anti-war, um, anti-totalitarian um, sort of commentator. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and has been in jail. Has been in jail. In um, the States. Just yeah. um, released uh, a year ago, I, I think, think it was. Something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, in jail for seven years for um, releasing documents about um, America's war crimes to WikiLeaks. Yeah. And seven years in jail released and it was scheduled to speak in Australia, but um, has had, the visa has had her visa um, Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. not cancelled. There's, there's still some, some no. push to get her into the country. Mm. 
but um, a couple of our speaking um, dates have been cancelled in Australia so far, so... Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be speaking to Debbie Bennett about that. And then earlier in the show, Songs of Satire, is yeah, that right? Yeah, Songs of Satire. We'll be looking at censorship this week through a, um, uh, a narrative of an album. Oops. So we're looking at a whole album today, so it's not really satire. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I know. <laughs> a very ambitious assignment. <laughs> in five minutes. Let's <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's, let's get it done. Shall we, shall we jump straight into alternative yeah, news? Yeah, let's hit alternative news. Let's go. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesday Breakfast. Some folks know about it, some don't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two. And so starting off alternative news with an article I was reading in The Conversation, which was making a great point about wage gap in Australia and kind of the complexity about it that we don't hear about. So in July, uh, the Household Income Labour Dynamics in Australia survey came out, or HILDAS for short. And this is a nationally representative longitudinal study of Australian households funded by the Australian government and managed by Melbourne University. This looks at a range of aspects such as uh, household and family life to self-employment and independent workers to division of paid and unpaid work uh, within households and kind of measures the change um, in individuals' lives. So this was ranging between 2001 and 2016. And individuals' lives is really the key word here. Because what we saw is a trend for individual financial mobility between uh, different wage sectors. So 28% in the bottom income group moved up to a greater income and 12% of the middle group actually reached the top bracket. And that sounds good. However, the author of this article makes the point that just because every group had experienced income growth within their sector, it did not mean that every individual was necessarily better off. In fact, this financial mobility trend uh, actually saw people losing financial status with the report showing that 40% of the Australian population had actually moved to a lower income group in 2016 than in 2001. Now, in response to this, the article did point out that we have had some government help with this, some government policy that has helped it, one of which was the Labor's one-off increase in age pensions by the Rudd government in 2009, pushing the age from 65 to 67. And that helped reduce relative poverty for people aged 65 and over by about 30%, uh, from 30%, uh, sorry, decreasing it from 30% in 2017. 2007 to 2008, to then 11% in 2013 to 2014. However, the author was making the point that whilst economic growth uh, within this period did help it, it was government intervention at the time that ensured it, and we are not seeing that sort of government active policy tailored to individuals at the moment. And to really quote the chairman of this Hildas report, uh, he said that growth alone is no guarantee against this widening, uh, to preventing this widening of disparity between rich and poor. And in fact, we've seen a rise in uh, child poverty. We've seen underemployment increasing from 680,000 to 1.1 million. And we have generally seen wage disparity increased. Any growth that we did experience came mainly through the first five-year period of this um, survey from 2003 to 2008, which was the first mining boom. So the article is making the point that if we put our blind faith in some renewable, readily running out source for our second boom, we'll all be fine. And that's what the media wants us to believe. So this is where it becomes alternative news, because this article is written by an external referee to Hilda's and gives us the facts with the evidence to back them up. The mainstream media has had no such accountability. Instead, it's taken the uh, Hilda's report and it's kind of said, oh, we've had economic growth and financial mobility. We've now, of course, had an improved standard of life for all Australians. 
reasons for this financial mobility and, in fact, the lowering cases of <laughs> economic status, such as retirement, disability, family breakdown, have actually been omitted from the mainstream. And the reminder that growth doesn't immediately equate better living, living is omitted. We get the narrative of Australia's 27 miracle economy years without actual evidence behind it that shows individual disposable income having fallen six times within these last 27 years and affecting individual lives. The idea that overall growth correlates with the individual is pushed and we're forgotten. Furthermore, to finally highlight a really brilliant point the article brought out was that we can't really even have these conversations about wage gap without it being stigmatised. Um, the author Peter Whiteford, a professor from the ANU, stated that the topic of wage inequality is treated as an abstract concept that we kind of teach as an article of faith in universities and then, use, and then connotated as this political truncheon instead of a real topic affecting Australians. So we have this misinterpretation and misreporting in the media. We have a government who uses overall growth to ignore the individual. And we have our voices silenced when we do raise our voices in this conversation and are dismissed on the grounds of connotation. We're kind of calling this alternative news, but I feel like this is becoming the new normal. So important, and particularly around, around what the, the person you're referring to, what the article says, because, I mean, sometimes when you look at these broad statistics, you, you can fall asleep quite easily, mm. you know. It's, it's a, but, but, but when you realise that this is the lived experience of, of individuals, of people who yeah. are being disadvantaged, so I guess, yeah, there's uh, increased wealth perhaps, but who gets who benefits from it really? And I think the point they're saying is yeah. not 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 the person in Australia, not the ordinary person. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if you are interested, that is uh, in the conversation, and that's called "Don't Believe What They Say About Inequality." Some of us are worse off. And and who's the author again? Yep, the author was just um, Peter Whiteford. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's good sometimes also to follow the people that are keeping an eye on these Definitely. things. And, I think yeah, we reporting. might even get them in and talk to nice, them. Nice, even better, <laughs> even better. <laughs> Fantastic, yay, great. Yeah, so that's my piece. Uh, Will, I believe you had one. Yes, uh, I just wanted to just, um, sort of point people's attention to um, an article written by Dr. Zuleika Zivalos, um, who is a sociologist and writes on the blog othersociologist.com, which is where this article comes from. And the article is called The Social Construction of Migrant Youth Deviance in Public Spaces. Um, the reason why I want to bring this up is because it asks us to think in a different way, well, to, to think in a sociologist's way, mm. about um, the the past, um, oh, no, the, the ongoing um, African gangs um, uh, media uh, what would you call it? Conspiracy? Yeah, I'd say immoral, generating moral panic, and yeah, when, when yeah, it's yeah, 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 based, based on very absolutely. little. No, you know, I mean, mm, mm, the mm. community itself acknowledges there yeah. are issues for yes. some, yes, some yeah. mindful yes. groups of young people, and they're aware of it, and they're mm. going to do things about it. Mm. But you know, all, out of all proportion, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and we, it's uh, still a really valuable resource for people who um, who want to. Here from the African Australian community is um, Thursday breakfasts panel discussion. It happened a couple of weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. so you'll have to go back yeah. onto the web, uh, onto Thursday breakfasts page on 3cr.org.au, and you can find the podcast of that panel discussion where um, uh, leaders from the um, African Australian community and come um, activists and come out and talk about why. This is happening, and also what else we can be talking about when it comes to African Australians. Um, but this article asks us to think about the idea of deviance and the way that it is applied to migrants in general, and the idea that m- deviance is really just a construction that reinforces the moral norms of the 
the majority, and so mm-hmm. othering. Um, is yes, yeah, so yeah. so people are othered and people are made into deviants. Yeah, it's a very nineteen um, fifties kind of idea that mm, came out mm, and out of sociology mm, yeah, uh, yeah. or conv- or psychology, very conservative mm. version, and and this construction. This construction of deviance has been, you know, critiqued yeah, no, over and over and over sure. again, mm. and still, still we have it. It's still with us. Yes, yeah, still we we consider, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like this. This highlights the experience of migrant youth and migrant descended youth, uh, yeah. background youth, um, yeah. in shopping centres, which are for them yeah. safe spaces, but are made unsafe by um, by the actions of mm-hmm. security staff there and by shopkeepers, and that's um. You know, like yeah. you know, we hear these stories all the time, and so we should, really should know. But the 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 article that I'm referring to, the social construction of migrant youth deviance in public spaces, is very accessible. Great. I read through it all, and it was just really easy to understand, and um, just sort of highlights the way in which um, this this whole uh, moral panic, as you correctly call it, around um, the presence of African Australians and African Australian youth in in our society, and their supposed link to disproportionate crime, yeah. is entirely cons- construction of white supremacy. And um, yeah. it's just like I know we we read a lot about this stuff, and it's good to take a break from it every now and then. But it's a great article. I, I recommend it to you. Um, if you don't want to look for that article in particular, just go to othersociologist dot com, and um, it's a pretty good we- website, good resource. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I think we're just about done for. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still catching up, but yeah, I guess yeah. the two, one story caught my eye was uh, right. Malcolm Turnbull's um, son ah. is campaigning for the Labour candidate ah. in his father's electorate. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, right. and there's an article that refers to that also in the Saturday paper. But yeah, but and and as I mm. said, I'm really keeping an eye on the bullying uh, allegations going on within the Liberal Party. All right. Looking mm. forward to hearing more about that. Just to finish mm. us off, the forecast for the rest of today. Uh, we're going to hit a maximum of 20 degrees. Oh 20 God, degrees and God. mostly sunny. Winds yeah. north to northeasterly, 25 to 35. So a little gusty, but not too heavy. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no rain. I was going to say, knowing Melbourne, I have put on layers. So yes. I can, I'm ready for the hot weather, but I'm prepared for the cold. Absolutely. You <laughs> yeah. are listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Hi, this is Rafiz Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR Pro-Palestinian Happily Proud Radio. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just 30 You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 
855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. And you're listening to 3CR Melbourne Community Radio. Um, I'm Edwin, and we're going to go into songs of satire this week. Now, I just want to prefix this uh, segment with the fact that this song that we're focusing on this week is a product of its era, and it does play on racial stereotypes as well as language of um, Japanese culture. Uh, so, with that being said, I do introduce this week's song, Mr. Roboto by the band Styx. Now, this week won't be the usual um, analytical breakdown, but kind of more of a look into the song's origins and narrative. So most of us kind of recognize the song by the bridge Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto, and kind of the souped-up hardcore 80s synth and staccato beats, which kind of create a stiff, robotic, futuristic sound. However, we're not really educated on the album behind it, named Kilroy Was Here, the concept album that creates a kind of contemporary narrative critiquing censorship within modern music. Now, its name stems from the expression shared by allies during World War II, and it's seen, most seen depicted in graffiti. You see him everywhere. He's kind of this small, outline sketch of a bald gentleman with a big nose drawn to be peeking over a wall, clutching on with his fingers, and he's usually accompanied with the catchphrase, Kilroy was here. Um, I believe the Australian troops' version was, Foo was here. Uh, and he kind of, what he kind of signifies, we're not actually quite sure. Suggestions that his actual meaning are really debated. In the Oxford uh, Dictionary, it defines it as the name of a mythical person. Some link the symbol to the Allies' solidarity. Some represent specific, think it represents specific individuals, such as James J. Kilroy or Omega or even a cartoon version of the RLC circuit. The thing is, we're not really sure. So what we do know is that it was a symbol of the soldiers one that was born in its time of extreme censorship and isolation, where soldiers were fighting in foreign lands, under world powers, with any attempt of communication back home being rigorously checked and censored, as to not alert those back home of the devastation facing them at the front. And whilst it's spluttered all over its place and is eerily recognisable to us, we don't know its meaning. And the album adopts this enigmatic figure and translates it into this rock operatic dystopia where rock music has become outlawed by a fascist and theocratic government, the MMM, standing for the Majority Musical Morality. Kilroy, instead, of, instead, in this narrative, happens to be a former rock star who has been imprisoned by Dr. Righteous, the leader of the MMM. Now he escapes in the disguise, thus the robot appearance in the song, and joins up with this new position, musician called Jonathan Chance, who is on a mission to bring rock and roll music back. His lyrics, I've Got a Secret, literally stem back to his disguise that he's a man hidden inside a robotic body. Whilst imprisoned, also with back at the MMM, the musicians are forced to be workers who are replaced by robots, with parts made in Japan, a brain of IBM, and more machine or mannequin than man. Um, this was actually linked by the band to not just be a song about an escape from jail, but also extended as an allegory for dehumanising the working class. The lines, I need control, we all need control, stands as kind of this active protest against the centralised power, actively protesting the need to stop or end censorship and play their own music. And this is what the whole song is really an allegory for. It's based off its own... It's actually based off its own era and the um, situation going down there because the album was made in response to fundamentalist Christian groups and other anti-rock music at activists at the time, which was about 1980s, who helped pass, um, pass a legislative bill requiring that all records containing backmasking which is a recording technique in which sound or messages are recorded backwards for effect, to be labelled such as under Arkansas State Senate law. 
Now, this can be linked back to religious superstition at the time that was present in South um, America, which kind of um, suggested that sounds backwards could signify the devil and that sort of stuff. And this kind of uh, lessening its popularity with consumers, right? I think we're going to be <laughs> concerned with the devil and, yes. and religion this morning somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it also happens to include bands such as the Beatles, Pink Floyd, Queen and Styx, all very outspoken bands with political and social undertones. And in protest, the track Heavy Metal Poisoning on um, the Styx album also actually uses a backmasked Latin phrase that once translated states, she, he, it has favoured our undertakings, a new order of the ages. Both mot- mottos from the great seal of the United States on the reverse side of the United States $1 bill. So altogether, this song really turns into on America and critiquing its puritanical kind of censorship of the era, born out of superstition and then empowered through an authoritative, centralised and usually religiously affiliated control. The, this executive power is shown to be dictatorial and dangerous and is forewarned as a possible dystopic future that we could live through. As a symbol, the song avoids heroes or saviours as their kind of main protagonist, uh, which are usually idolised and often religiously connotated symbols, and instead chooses the expression of the soldier, Kilroy was here. This grassroots symbol is then adopted once more to be an expression of the people fighting it back against a censored and dangerous situation they're facing, whether ordered onto a battlefield or having their voices cut out. And so that's a little bit behind this song. It's a very easy song to write off, um, and it's a very silly song. However, the album behind it was really trying to make a fascinating um, political message. So here it is now for you in full. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. That was uh, don't, The Sticks with their hit. I can't believe I'm forgetting this. Um, Mr. Roboto. There we go. Thank you. I was trying to think of their catchphrase. Anyway, just wanted to make a point on the topic of censorship. Um, on Monday, it was reported that the ABC has been added to China's great firewall of list of websites banned and censored on the country's uh, online internet. And the reason they gave was a funny one, because the government responded with the fact that the Chinese government is fully open, however, it also retains the right to uh, sovereignty and will be rejecting the ABC on grounds that it has not made clear. So, uh, with growing kind of shutdown on public freedoms... Well, we're going to have to follow that story. But don't worry, it's also happening here in Australia, so you can follow at home as well. And, um, yeah, tune in on the 26th to do that for special because we're going to be having a panel all about that shutting down of public freedoms and censorship. Yeah, and there was an amazing report by the Human Rights Defender for the UN who came out to Australia um, a couple of years, two years ago now, and he expressed a, a shock. He thought he was coming to a liberal democracy. That was two years ago. Michelle For- yeah. Forrest was his name. So two years ago, and I think things have uh, changed since then. But look, right now we're going to have a bit more music, a different style, as promised, as music from the Ottawa Jazz Festival. The artist is uh, Dee Dee Bridgewater, amazing uh, history in public radio herself, jazz singer, toured in Europe, um, um, active, performed in musicals, just amazing. And uh, the song is Hound Dog, which you might associate with Elvis. <laughs> However, it was written for Mama Thornton, and oh. she performed it in 1953. So this may be the reason Dee Dee Bridgewater, an African-American woman, has chosen this song for her CD. Fantastic. Sniffing and scratching, trying to get in. 
Listening to 3CR Community Radio uh, Wednesday Breakfast. Um, Dee Dee Bridgewater from her album Memphis Yes I'm Ready and the song Hound Dog, obviously. And what a song! And so what, smooth. Wasn't so it good. amazing? Fantastic. And she was a fabulous performer. That's right. Now on the line we have Debbie Brennan, who is a member of Push, the organizing and educa- um, so organizing and educating to build a united front against fascism. It's a new f- anti-fascist activist organization which has strongly condemned the, the move um, by the federal government to delay approving a visa for uh, activist Chelsea Manning. And um, we'll be hearing a bit more about that in a moment. Debbie, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning, Debbie. Can you tell us what's going on with um, Chelsea Manning's visa and what, what, what the issue is? Well, um, it's well. What has happened is that Chelsea Manning, of course, has um, uh, a tour planned to speak to crowds in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. However, the Home Affairs Department, headed by Peter Dutton, um, has refused to grant her a visa to enter. So, in Sydney, um, her her speaking event was. Um, last week and she had to conduct that event um, from Los Angeles. Where it stands now is that um, the organizing agency, Think Inc., that uh, is organizing this event is saying that she still does not have her visa. So it's looking as though possibly the Melbourne and the Brisbane events will also be um, done via a hookup from Auckland because New Zealand has allowed Chelsea to enter. Which is quite illustrative of the, the difference between Australia's, Australia's um, approach to visa approvals and freedom of speech um, contrasted with New Zealand's. Um, so can you tell us about um, uh, PUSH's... Uh, first of all, what is PUSH? PUSH is quite a new organisation, but with a lot of experience behind us. Can, can you tell us what PUSH is? Yes. Um, PUSH, as you say, is newly formed. Um, it's formed by um, organisations that are socialist, anarchist, um, Aboriginal rights um, organisations that have decades of, of history in working in united fronts um, to beat back fascists, which we have done against national action and black shirts and so on, and, um, and also some individual activists. And it's um, push formed because of what is becoming a more urgent need to build a united front against emerging fascists, which fascists have been emerging for the last say three and a half years and um, by United Front what we mean is that um, organizations and individuals come together they may have all different types of political perspectives but come together around you know common points of agreement in fighting the fascists and it's terribly important that a United Front um, be one of all of the targets of fascists um, and the far right and certainly involve the unions as well. So 
push is certainly is currently a, a nucleus of um, a few groups which is working to um, bring other organizations and individuals in to build that united front because if we have that that broad democratic united front then we could beat back the fascists easily mm. and can you give us an idea of the um, the backgrounds of the people who have joined push uh, what organizers organizations they come from yes certainly well um, I represent one of the organizations radical women um, Freedom Socialist Party, Melbourne Anarchist Communist Group, and the Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne are the founding organizations of PUSH, along with some independent activists. Okay. And um, so, so the reason why we have you on is because PUSH issued a, a statement uh, in opposition to um, Home Affairs Minister uh, Peter Dutton's uh, sort of delay on approving Chelsea Manning's visa and threat to cancel it on character grounds. Uh, so can, can you give us a bit more of detail on um, Push's, Push's reaction to that um, and um, also calls by the left to, for, for federal government to in turn uh, ban or cancel visas of um, right-wing commentators to, to Australia. There's a lot of conversation on that, so I just wanted to hear your, hear your point of view. Yes, well, first of all, the fact that the um, that the government is refusing a visa to someone like Chelsea Manning, um, Chelsea Manning, who is, as listeners know, the whistleblower on the atrocities that the United States had committed um, in Iraq and the Middle East, and also as a very strong advocate as a trans woman herself for transgender and all other people's rights, to ban her from coming into Australia is quite outrageous but certainly very telling because, on the other hand, the government lets the likes of Lauren Southern in, um, currently Nigel Farage, far right from the U.K., um, is, is here, um, and Milo Yiannopoulos and that whole parade of far right um, luminaries is, is rather long. So it's, it is quite obvious where the Australian government sits in terms of what it thinks is good character and what is not. Clearly, they do not want um, crowds of people hearing Chelsea Manning. Um, they clearly see her as a threat. Now, um, while some pretty her terrible nasties who do come in um, bring out a cry from some people to the government to ban them from coming in, such as I remember Trevor Newman, for example, and a, a far-right anti-abortionist from the United States a few years ago, um, the appeal to the government to ban people from coming in is something we absolutely do not agree with. What we say is that, no, you do not appeal to the government, to the state, to use banning powers um, on people. If people who are objectionable come in, then it's up to us, the people in, out there in the communities, to organize in the streets and protest to drown them out. It's up to us to make those decisions about who we're going to hear and who were not. Um, I'm just uh, interested that 
you know, I'm wondering, what is the government actually afraid of in Chelsea Manning speaking here? And, of course, Chelsea is speaking, because, except by video. So what is so threatening about her persona is one thing. But I'm also wondering to what extent they're just following wishes that may have come from the American government, the USA. Well, first of all, um, the fact that um, she will be speaking, but it looks like not in person, is beyond the government's control. They would have preferred that she just be silenced entirely. But, yes, your question about what is, what is it they're afraid of, we have to remember that those atrocities by the United States in Iraq and the Middle East and elsewhere around the world, but particularly in the Middle East, that she um, blew the whistle on, the Australian government was up to its neck in those atrocities. We were part of the coalition of the willing, as it was called, that the then-President Bush had um, you know, mobilized to send into the Middle East. So the, the government's hands are not clean on those atrocities uh, in the Middle East and elsewhere in the world. So I would say that they are quite nervous about um, the likes of Chelsea Manning in being able to speak to an Australian audience because it's really about it's, it's about the never-ending war. It's about these wars that continue and continue as the global economy just completely nosedives. It's also connected to our refugee issue. You know, refugees do come from war and devastated countries. So it's that whole picture that Chelsea Manning is actually um, there to talk to people about and to clarify that picture. Now, and, um, yes. Debbie, just quickly, um, I'm afraid we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, if people want to find out more about PUSH, um, where, where can they go? Yes, uh, they can email us at antifascist.push at gmail.com, and they can check our Facebook, which is antifascist.push, and on that Facebook is our call-out, for organizations and individuals to come in and become a part of the United Front. Wonderful. I've been speaking to Debbie Brennan, who is a member of PUSH, organizing and educating to build a united front against fascism. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Community thank Radio. Thank you very much. Brought to us by Indigenous Rights Radio is the next segment, focusing on Indigenous Women's Day. The as-of-yet unofficial day gives us a chance to kind of reflect on the vital contribution Indigenous women around the world make to the defense of human rights. We are also asked the question, why are Indigenous women not sufficiently recognised for their human rights defence efforts? The 4th of September is International Indigenous Women's Day. On this day, in 1782, Bartolina Sisa was executed by the Spanish colonists in Bolivia. Bartolina, together with her husband Tupac Katari, revolted against Spanish rule. After being beaten and humiliated in the colonial square, she was killed and thereafter her body parts were sent to different villages and her head was used to intimidate other indigenous peoples. This is but one recorded incident of an indigenous woman who stood up for her rights and the rights of her people. There is a movement in South America that is striving to make this day official so that everybody in the world will know about the suffering and achievements of indigenous women like Bartolina Sisa. Many other indigenous women have achieved so much yet so little is known about them. 
Zara Hendricks or Kaisas, a Khoi woman in South Africa, was responsible for putting pen to paper to formalize the grammar of the Namakwa language more than 200 years ago. It is clear that women deserve more recognition and one needs to ask if patriarchy is responsible for removing the spotlight from women and so too responsible for other inequalities. We spoke to the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, Victoria Tauli Kopas, who told us more about International Indigenous Women's Day. Well, I think it's a good uh, thing to celebrate, although it's not, it's like a self-declared International Indigenous Women's Day. It's not something that's declared by the UN, for instance. But it's still, it's important because it highlights the, the specific uh, uh, situations of indigenous women you know, who are suffering from uh, multi-dimensional uh, forms of discrimination and oppression. You know? So I think that it's always important to highlight, uh, you know, how indigenous women are suffering because they are women, because of their gender, but also because they are indigenous and they are discriminated against like all the other indigenous peoples. But I also think it's important to also highlight the contributions of indigenous women in protecting their rights to their lands and territories and also in uh, in uh, ensuring that cultural languages are being transmitted to the younger generation so uh, all these different facets of of the the dire situations of the women but also the actions that they are taking to empower themselves are uh, issues that have to be brought into the fore during this international day and of course the rest of the days as well can you tell us about indigenous women in the past or perhaps in the present who stand out as women who are perhaps role models or who have contributed significantly to a particular cause? Well, there are several. There are many indigenous women who are, uh, who are uh, asserting and uh, fighting for their rights, whether in, in Asia and Latin America. No? I mean, we have all these, um, for instance, uh, Berta Cáceres definitely is one woman who has... Uh, who can be a role model in terms of insisting on fighting for their rights as indigenous people and as women, you know. So, so those are all uh, role models that have to be, uh, uh, you know, made more uh, visible. Uh, I also think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, for instance, in Latin America, I have others, uh, Mirna Cunningham, who is a, a Miskito woman in in Nicaragua, who has really done a lot for their own, for for not just for the Miskito women, but for other indigenous women in in Latin America. So there are several that I can cite, you know, that as uh, who can be role models for indigenous women. Can you give us your thoughts on gender equality, specifically amongst indigenous people, bearing in mind that one of the sustainable development goals, goal number five, talks about gender equality, empowering women so that the world can get to a place where women have the same opportunities as men and women occupy the same positions in the workplace and in politics and in society in general. Are women and indigenous women being treated equally? Well, no. That's not, uh, that's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, indigenous women also suffer inequality, uh, within the general society, but also even within their own societies. You know, there are also, even within among uh, our own uh, societies, there is all, there are all, patriarchy has also seeped in, and, uh, you know, machismo of uh, indigenous men is also very strong. I mean, I can see this, for instance, in Latin America, where, where you can hardly, uh, 
it is, it's a very uphill struggle for an indigenous woman to be, be recognized equally as a leader. You know, so there is a lot of, uh, of work that, uh, we as indigenous, uh, women should do in terms of, uh, uh, also, uh, uh, creating equality within our own societies, but but also fighting for equality within the broader society. You know, indigenous women always have uh, have been, I mean, if you look at history and, and the struggles of indigenous peoples, indigenous women have have played very key roles in terms of, uh, of protecting the rights of the lands and territories, but you hardly hear about this. You know, it's always the men, and, and so I think the the that uh, goal five is important for indigenous women as well, and it should really be something that uh, that indigenous peoples uh, work around on, so that in the end, I mean, the equality between indigenous uh, women and men, and between you know between uh, the dominant indigenous uh, women, either dominant women and indigenous women, will be uh, enhanced. It's a goal that is, uh, that indigenous women are working on. In fact, now I would say that there is now a, uh, an increasing work amongst indigenous women to empower themselves and to change their own cultures and societies as well. We spoke to Ganbrat Ritter from the Sami Council on goal number five, who told us about gender equality in her region. My name is Gunbrit Retter. I'm the head of the Arctic and Environmental Unit of the Sami Council. The Sami Council is an umbrella organization that represents Sami people in Norway, Finland, Sweden and northwestern Russia. Gender is, of course, uh, of great importance and uh, there are gender challenges, even though in uh, Sami communities, uh, in many aspects, uh, the women are equal or, or, empower, or in a good position and uh, you can see that there's quite a good balance in the political, uh, Sami political uh, institutions and organizations and a lot of Sami women have high education. Uh, but still there are, if you look at um, how many women participate in the management of natural resources, there is a uh, totally male dominance. So we have areas where we really need to straighten out the gender issue. And another concern, of course, when it comes to gender is that Sami women are reported to, to uh, experience more violence and abuse than others in our society. So, so this is also one of the goals uh, that uh, are of importance. Thank you, Ganbratretta. We will conclude with an excerpt from un.org slash sustainable development. While the world has achieved progress towards gender equality and women's empowerment under the Millennium Development Goals, women and girls continue to suffer discrimination and violence in every part of the world. Gender equality is not only a fundamental human right, but a necessary foundation for a peaceful, prosperous and sustainable world, providing women and girls with equal access to education, health care, decent work, and representation in political and economic decision-making processes will fuel sustainable economies and benefit societies and humanity at large. For more info on gender equality, visit Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter or visit our website, cis.org. And that was a segment on Indigenous Women's Day, which is uh, proposed for today, the 5th of September. And um, you are listening to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesday Breakfast. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. 
There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you need is we've got the hell. Lots of changes. We need more brothers. This is Ari Lecker, you're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio, also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka, gets up one talks. in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law. 6pm Tuesdays. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And uh, you are listening to 3CR 
Wednesday breakfast. And just joining us now in the studio is Tim Jones. I think he had a little trouble with the traffic coming in. It was a bit of a long... Uh, no, I have to I congratulate public transport because the, uh, the replacement bus worked very efficiently. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. So uh, Tim's a cultural historian with La Trobe University. And he conducts research in the areas of gender, sexuality, and religion, and particularly religion in Britain, Australia, and the U.S. That's right. And um, he uh, comes in regularly with the first, first week of the month to talk about sort of the cultural, historical landscape. So today, Tim, I think you're going to tell us about the history of Pentecostalism. Yeah, I thought it would be good to give a bit of an explainer of Pentecostalism. It's been in the news lately, our new Prime Minister... I think he's the first Pentecostal uh, leader that we've had, um, and people, there, there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of misunderstanding about Pentecostalism, and I thought it would be good to just give a bit of a background about the history of it, how it functions, and perhaps what the implications of uh, how a Pentecostal prime minister might be. Excellent. Well, I mean, I did have a little browse before you, you came in, and I thought, God, there's a lot here. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's a fascinating uh, movement. It's quite a new movement within Christianity, but it goes back right to the very beginnings. Um, so I thought I'd give a little bit of a broad brushstrokes uh, history of Pentecostalism before we think about some of its implications. Um, so the, the term Pentecostalism comes from Pentecost, uh, which uh, was this person called Jesus, some of you may have heard of, uh, lived about 2,000 years ago. Um <laughs> Uh, was executed by the Romans, uh, reappeared three days later, ascended into heaven, apparently. Um, and then all of his followers were a bit depressed and were hanging around for seven weeks, going like, oh no, what are we going to do now? Um, and then seven weeks after Jesus disappeared, uh, it was the Jewish feast of Pentecost, uh, and this miraculous thing happened one morning, um, fire appeared on top of all the disciples' heads, tongues of fire, and they started speaking in other languages. Uh, speaking in tongues? Yes. And and uh, people were going, like, what's going on? And the Bible says, people said, are they drunk? They can't be drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> well, it could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, but then people from out of town were like, hey, that's my language. And they were speaking in the Bible records that they were speaking in other languages and telling the good news of Jesus. And so that was the beginning of, it was interpreted as the Holy Spirit coming down, the beginning of Christianity. Um, so in the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets, and Jesus was there and God and God was there in, present, in the person of Jesus. And then the beginning of Christianity, God speaks through the Holy Spirit into the church. Um, fast forward. <laughs> The first 300 years, Christianity is actually really kooky and there's lots of different types of interpretations of Jesus' life and what it meant. Um, all that gets uh, formed into orthodoxy through the churches, the councils of the early church. So by about 300, there's a single view of what Christianity is. About 900, uh, there's a split between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. So we get the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church um, and the Orthodox churches. So there's Russian Orthodox, I think there's a Syrian Orthodox. There's, I think. there's more yeah. than you think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, then about 1500, the Catholic Church, there's, there's con disputes in the Catholic Church over authority and theology, and the Protestant churches emerge in Europe. Um, so then, then now we've got three types of Christianity. Uh, and then within the Protestant Church, 
churches, because there's lots of them, uh, in the late 18th century. So the Protestant churches, the big split between Protestants and Catholics. Catholics said the Pope has like a direct line to God and has authority to say uh, what's right and what's wrong. Protestants said, no, that's not right. The Bible is it. Sola Scriptura was the big... Uh, Oh, Protestant oh, message. Right. The Bible I always alone. thought it was Henry VIII, so, you know. This well, is divorce as well, but shh. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, for Protestants, the, the key difference between, between Protestant, Protestants and Catholics is Catholics say the church has authority, Protestants say the Bible has authority. We know, we know God through the Bible. Um, and then in the late... 18th century, there were a series of revivals called the Evangelical Revivals that happened amongst Protestants. Um, people had gotten a bit lazy and not very faithful in the 18th century after all the crises of the 17th century. Um, and people, ha- people had a new experience of faith, which was rather than just saying, oh, I know that the Bible's true and I know I'm a Christian, The spirit of the evangelical revival was that people had to individually experience their salvation. And was this within Protestantism? Yes. So so Protestants had a revival, they became more faithful, and there were these big meetings and and open-air sermons and things like that, and people were saying... And so what was meant by individually experience? So they had to experience their own salvation, so that, you know, Mm. Protestants believed that Jesus died to save us from our sins and mm. save us from going to hell. But that was there's one thing about knowing that uh, intellectually and then experiencing it personally. And so people having a personal experience of being saved yeah. uh, was the spirit of the evangelical revival. A hundred years later, so, so from the late 18th century through the 19th century, there are like periods of revival and people having these personal experiences of salvation and a series of different... Uh, churches and holiness movements developed about how to be more Christian. And then around 1900, in Britain and America particularly, there are another series of revivals. But at these revivals, more interesting things started to happen. People started speaking in tongues again. Okay. Uh, And this is the birth of Pentecostalism. So Pentecostalism comes with... So that was my, like, quick (laughs) fast forward (laughs) through the history of Christianity from Jesus to Pentecostalism. Right. Uh, and and the the point of it was at, at Pentecost, which was the beginning of Christianity proper, it was heralded by the Holy Spirit coming onto and people, the fire appearing, fire on their heads and speaking yep. in tongues. And then around 1900, uh, in America uh, and lo in Britain, and behold, um, people started speaking in tongues again. Wow! And really new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So it's not very old at all. No. But what was the like the the, the sort of climate that sort of made this particular expression of faith kind of come about? I know it's a hard question to answer, mm. but like it's just, it seems like it's a time of revolutions. Is that... It's not really no. a time of revolutions. It's kind of in the middle of revolutions. Right. So around, around revolution. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the, the big problem that's happening oh. then, so there's revolution... Well, now I'm going to be embarrassed to any historical listeners, but <laughs> I think the, the surrounding revolutions are like 1870 and 1917. So we're in the, 1900 mm. is in, you know, decades away from revolutions. Right, right, okay. But what's happening is a theological crisis. Uh, oh. So Protestants, who, as we've seen, uh, based on sola scripture of the Bible alone, um, over the last hundred years, literary criticism and evolution had started to undermine their confidence in the Bible. Mm. So yeah, that, li- literal that readings of the Bible were becoming yeah. more difficult when you had literary critics saying, well, actually... 
that, that book wasn't written by one person. That's a compilation of like 17 things. And yeah, the Bible. Yeah. Written by me. Yeah, that book of the Bible. Yeah. And uh, actually, Genesis says God, the world was created in seven days, but you know, maybe it was seven thousand years or seven million years. Or yeah. so. So the authority of the Bible and was questioned. And for Protestants, where that's their way of knowing God, uh, that was quite a problem. So the appearance, the, this new idea of being of baptism in the Holy Spirit. So you're not just saved by saying I accept Jesus into my heart. Well, you're saved by accepting Jesus into your heart. But then there's another step for the Pentecostalists, which is the baptism of the Spirit, like happened in at Pentecost. The Spirit comes down, and then you. So your authority isn't just the Bible, but your direct experience of God through the Holy Spirit coming down. And that manifested in several ways. So speaking in tongues was an obvious manifestation that the Holy Spirit um, had baptized you and was in you. But they also believed in prophecy. So speaking the word of God, God speaking through you, again, augmenting the authority so you of the Bible. Yeah, you become a vehicle for the voice Individual believers become a vehicle for the belief of God. Um, so prophecy, speaking in tongues, uh, and also healing uh, and um, faith healing yeah faith yeah. healing okay. um, and uh, deliverance so being this idea of spiritual warfare that um, there's not only the Holy Spirit there but there's also angels and demons and you can see and perceive uh, malign spiritual influence and you can interact with that and that wasn't a big part of the early Pentecostal movement the early Pentecostal movement was very much focused on speaking in tongues mm. and developing this idea that the Holy you were baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're becoming more physically physically and spiritually perfected with God's presence in you. This, and that was all pretty controversial for the time. You can, right. It was attractive because it was a new way of knowing God, um, but it was also quite controversial. And so most Protestants were a bit sus about it. Mm. Uh, it looked very... How would it look to an outsider? It would look quite emotional, it seems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. ecstatic and esoteric. A very staid kind of voice. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just sitting yeah. around So you're talking to the early... And, so around 1900. 1900, So yeah. in, that, in those early mm. decades, it was mm-hmm. quite revolutionary and radical mm. um, and viewed with some suspicion by mainstream Protestantism. Um, but then, in the 1960s, and we all know what's happening in the 1960s, um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, big time. <laughs> yeah. So these Pentecostal manifestations of the Holy Spirit become more popular and um, become uh, experienced across more Protestant churches, and this is often called the Charismatic Revival, where these gifts of the Spirit um, start to be experienced by Protestants, not just in the new Pentecostal churches, but in mainstream churches, and it becomes much more popular, and healing becomes a much, more, a much bigger part of... Pentecostal and charismatic churches in, from the 1960s and 70s. I mean, it's kind of interesting because during that time, people also explored other Eastern religions. So I suppose uh, even in in the radical movement, there was an interest in religion. But yeah. I think I div- diverge from <laughs> yes, where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it becomes bigger from and much more respectable from the 1960s and 1970s. Um, this is also when, um, and then a little bit later, uh, the, the ideas about the prosperity gospel start to take hold. Uh, so is that linked at all to um, sort of uh, the televising of ministry? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology is the idea, similar to spiritual healing actually, wow. and it's quite a holistic view of the person. It's not 
humans aren't just souls that need to be saved, but for Pentecostals, the body is also important. So you can be healed. So that's why healing is important, because it's a mm. sign of, of your salvation. Um, but also, it's God, God's will for us that we prosper. So, uh, you know, we should be, we should get money and we should, we should be healthy and we should be wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're not wealthy, does that mean God looks badly on us? Well, that, this is where, and this is where I confess that I don't fully understand, um, Pentecostalism. Um, where, where it doesn't always work and how they deal with inconsistencies and how they deal with suffering, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, um, read enough about that. Uh, but because because they yeah, yeah, there's inconsistencies in this, it, God may or may not give you mm-hmm. wealth. And mm-hmm. when did uh, Pentecostalism kind of enter the political fray in in Australia? When it, did it become more political? I believe it did. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, so in the early at the beginnings of Pentecostalism, it's a much more sort of working class and lower middle class thing. Um, it's quite radical. In early in America, it was they opposed segregation, so they had mixed race congregations, which was quite radical for the time. Women were much more involved in leadership and so on. Um, from the 60s and 70s, it becomes more mainstream within Protestantism, becomes more respectable. The prosperity gospel uh, opened it up to more middle class people. Um, and it becomes more and more respectable over the 20th century. Uh, and then from about 1980, uh, evangelicals and Pentecostals become more involved in politics. So uh, for most of the 20th century, they viewed the world as sort of corrupt and not worth being involved in, and they should just focus on being saved. Uh, and then there's this ideas about uh, dominion theology, the idea that you should manifest God's kingdom on earth and you should become involved in politics. Uh, and there's a realignment of evangelical uh, politics with the economic conservatives, uh, Reagan, Thatcher. Um, and it was a little bit delayed in Australia because we had a Labor government in the 80s. Um, so in Australia, in the 1990s, Howard repositioned the Liberal Party to, uh, to be very open to and um, to open its support base to moral conservatives, particularly uh, evangelicals and Pentecostals. And is that where we find ourselves today, or are there any other changes since then? Like, what what kind of church can we see our new Prime Minister coming from? Well, what's really fascinating, and, and Australia's actually been one of the... Well, it's, it's possibly like a uh, an archetypal example of this, is, mm. the, is the megachurch. So most people will have heard of Hillsong. Mm. Um, Hillsong is one of these... Uh, is a typical uh, Pentecostal megachurch. So they're quite entrepreneurial. So they're all about... So, one of the things about Pentecostalism is that it's very individualistic. It's about individual experience of salvation, individual experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and individual experience of God's blessing and salvation through healing and wealth and, and all these kinds of things. There, so can, there's can, no such thing as society, just individual. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Thatcher's yeah, famous quote. Exactly, very much yeah. so. Uh, and these churches follow that. Uh, you know, neoliberal late capitalist model. They start out as entrepreneurial, uh, you know, uh, charismatic leaders and they develop into, you know, big corporations. So they're run by boards of elders, uh, leaders, uh, who are very, wow. you know, <laughs> strong, strong personalities. Um, and, uh, they're, 
tend to be very con- socially conservative, very focused on gender difference and the maintenance of gender difference. So whilst women are involved in the leadership, usually only as co-pastors with their husbands, they have all these gender-segregated camps for spiritual development for women, becoming mm. a godly woman, becoming a godly man. So they've become much more socially conservative uh, and economically conservative in recent times. So that's where our current prime minister is kind of located. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, thanks so much for coming in and, and giving us some background. And I think there's lots more that will come out of that in terms of the kinds of policies, like some of the stuff about safe, safe schools. I remember the Assemblies of God in Australia or the Family First Party being kind of, the head was the head of Assemblies of God attacking sex education in South Australia. So, I mean, there's a lot more. And I'm afraid we don't really have time because we have another story coming on. <laughs> But I have found that incredibly helpful. I hope it's yeah. useful. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much for coming in. And now we're going to p- head to a couple of Vox Pops from uh, from the Nobel Peace Rite. Is that right? Yeah. Well, on Sunday I went along uh, to the um, Nobel Peace Rite send-off and it was at the uh, steps of Parliament House, mm. 9.30, uh, people gathered, and the ride has been organized by the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, uh, Australia. Australia, I don't know whether branch is the word, but anyway, it's because it's interna- an international organization. And the, uh, and the organization won the Nobel Peace Prize mm. uh, last year for their work, and that's the international organization, mm. for their work in um, getting the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons up. And, uh, and also important to know that ICANN began in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, and, so, and then from became, Melbourne, sorry, yes, and became yes. international. Yes, and they will be cycling from Melbourne to Canberra, and so I went along to talk to people and um, to hear more about it. Nuclear weapons, we want to ban them. Leave our uranium in the ground and keep it there, there, there. I've arrived early at the steps of Victoria's Parliament House. The Peace Choir is warming up, and the first person I meet is Dimity Hawkins one of the founders of ICANN. Well, 2007, we launched it here at the Victorian Parliament House. So it's kind of beautiful that in 2018, here we are with a bunch of great people who are about to set off on their bikes, ride with the Nobel Peace Prize all the way to Canberra to tell our government and any other governments that might come after it that we expect them to sign and ratify the Nuclear Ban Treaty. Tell me about the treaty. What does the treaty say? The treaty is an amazing instrument. It's, it's come after many, many years, like decades of work, not just through ICANN, but through generations of people who've been working on this issue. And it basically it prohibits nuclear weapons. It prohibits nuclear testing. It prohibits the uh, supporting of nuclear weapons in, it, in all its forms. It also offers something which I think is really... Uh, going to be monumental, which is victims' assistance and environmental remediation to people who have had to go through either the use of nuclear weapons, such as the Habaksha in Japan, or those people, including our own here in Australia and throughout our Pacific region. So, Dimity, what's the um, significance of the date that uh, the riders will arrive in Canberra? Yes, September 20th was the date a year ago that the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons was brought into the United Nations. It was finally opened for signature. It was negotiated back in uh, July of last year, but it opened for signature on the 20th of September. 
And that was a beautiful day because to get that signature towards being implemented and to be being brought into force, we needed 50 signatures from 50 states plus 50 ratifications. On that very first day, we got 50 signatures from 50 states. It was a really moving, really exciting day for the campaign and for the world. Dimity Hawkins, former member of the board of ICANN Australia. ICANN has invited people to join the Nobel Peace Ride at any stage in the ride, and they can come for a shorter or a longer distance. I spoke to some of the riders before the ceremonies began. So you're going on the ride today. Can you tell me why? I'm just going for the 10Ks, but um, I'm going because I, cause Australia needs to get on board with this treaty. It's well and truly beyond time to join. I'll be going through to Albury-Wodonga, which is about 500 kilometres, I think. And the main reason I'm doing it is to uh, further the awareness uh, that nuclear weapons are just not right for our Earth, our planet and could be the death of our civilization if put in the wrong hands. I've come out to support everybody else and to see an end to nuclear weapons. It's a horrible waste of money, if nothing else. This is the one chance, you know, can we get, actually get rid of nuclear weapons? As many people as possible have to push government, especially the Australian government, who has so far been very reluctant to even acknowledge that, that there is a chance, actually, to, to ban nuclear weapons. I'm a passionate anti-nuclear campaign. I've been doing it for 50 years. I'm not going to stop now and I'm a passionate cyclist. I've put those two wonderful things together. I will be riding my bike all the way to Canberra and my van is also going as a support vehicle which we're going to take in turns to drive between all the riders. So we've got big events planned in Benalla, Aubrey and Gundagai and we're going to um, meet a lot of people there and have exhibitions but we've also got Potluck dinners organised in smaller towns where we're going to share a campaign with the local people. Lavanya Pant, organiser of the Nobel Peace Ride. Dave Sweeney is a member of the board of ICANN. He was the MC for the day. I want to give a shout out to uh, the dads on Father's Day to be here. Well done. Who needs bricky in bed when you can have solidarity on the streets? <laughs> Andrew Giles, Labour member for Scullin offered his support for signing the treaty, as did Janet Rice, Member of Parliament for the Greens. It's a very simple ask these people have, right into Canberra, to say to people like me and Janet to persuade our federal government to do what's just and right, for a country to take a basic step of leadership towards a safer world. We haven't got a choice. We've got to work for these things. If we've got to have optimism and hope for the future, we've got to be taking a stand and to be working together to achieve this. Marcus Yip is a member of the ICANN board and also a doctor. As an emergency doctor, I would be at the front line of any nuclear disaster. And I can tell you that there would be horrible things to witness, large-scale burns, radiation, death, only to be witnessed. Um, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki previously, but also on our Aboriginal people, nuclear testing, Maralinga, and also in the Pacific Island nations um, as late as 1996. I can tell you as an emergency doctor that there would be no response. There is nothing that I can do medically. There is nothing that we can do from a resource perspective. We would be overwhelmed. There would be overwhelming death and destruction. So as in most things in medicine, Prevention is always better than cure. And prevention, in the case of nuclear weapons, comes in the form of the Nuclear Ban Treaty. Disappointingly, um, Australia is um, holding out. And with that vivid reminder of the horrors of nuclear war and the importance of prevention, Dave Sweeney gives some final words to the cyclists 
and the crowd cheers them on as they ride off. We change the fundamental game. We make a rule that it is unlawful, illegal, unacceptable and will not be tolerated to threaten to destroy this planet that we love. We choose humanity with all our imperfections or we choose a weapon that ends it. Pretty simple. Come and see you, Mr Morrison. And uh, off they go on the way to Canberra. And it was great to be there and great to hear the the different uh, speeches, very inspirational. And really, I've only been able to touch on some of the events of the send-off, but I know that a radioactive from 3CR on uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock were there, and they'll be providing more full coverage. So if you'd like to to hear more, uh, do tune in on Saturday morning. But right now, I believe we have Lavanya Pant on the phone. Are you there, Lavanya? Yes, I'm here, Judith. Hi. Hi. Hey, fantastic. So you, you're one of the people riding all the way to Canberra, doing that long ride. And last night you spent at Woodfield Shearer's Quarters Campground. Is that right? Yes, we are. We just woke up um, an hour ago. We're just having breakfast, about to head out to Mansfield and then near Benella. So that's our plan for the day. Yeah, we're in its beautiful Shearer's Quarters with like views of hills and cows and horses and sheep. Yeah, it's really nice out here. And and how many people are with you right now? So we're still a group of seven riders, the original seven that set off from um, the that, that are going to go and do the whole ride. And um, yeah, so there's six more people, two people driving the support vans, and five riding at all times. And what kind of response? I mean, have people seen you as you ride along? What kind of response have you had? We've had really fantastic response. We had actually organized accommodation in Anglican, a couple of Anglican churches in Whittlesea and Ye, and the people have gone above and beyond to welcome us and organize potluck dinners for us, invite members of the community to come and meet us. We shared the Nobel Medal, the treaty, the story of our campaign with everyone, and people have taken to it really well. That's and, wonderful. Um, People mm. are very positive and appreciate, appreciative of the work we're doing. And one of the riders was um, really fast. So on the way from uh, Ye, no, from Little C to Ye the other day, um, he popped into Flowerdale Primary School and did a little show and tell for all the kids in the school and the principal with the medal. Oh, and so exciting for them. And they were very welcoming. Oh, that, that sounds amazing. And I think you have something on in Benalla tonight. The Benella event is on Friday, oh, so sorry. we're just okay. headed in the direction of Benella. Yes, oh, my, my geography, sorry. At 6 p.m. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, we have an all-day exhibition which every, at BPAC, which is the Arts and Convention Center. The so people can pop into that anytime they like. And at 6 o'clock, we've got our big event with the mayor speaking and a lot of people from ICANN. And, yeah, and that is when we're going to share what we've been doing so far and the campaign with the local mm, people. Well, Lavanya, it sounds amazing. And uh, I hope, if we, because I think you provided for people to just join in as you went along the ride. So, for example, if someone from Woodfield wanted to ride with you for a little while today to your next uh, mm-hmm. destination, that would be a possibility. Yes. yes, people can join us at any time they like. And um, it's not... 
you know, it's even just for the day, for a few kilometres. If they're joined for longer, that is also still a possibility because we have support vehicles and we're carrying uh, people's luggage. So as long as you have a bike, you can join us for any leg of the ride. Oh, wonderful. Well, look, congratulations. Thanks for taking the call early in the morning, and it's great to uh, to hear your progress and to hear how people are responding. So you arrive Thank in... You, yeah, totally my pleasure. Thanks for uh, being available this morning for 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, Lavanya. No worries. I've just got a couple more things to say. So our event is in Benalla. So if anyone is available to come and join us on the Friday night to come to the event, that would be wonderful. If not, we've got another event in Albury at, um, on Monday, the 10th of September, at around lunchtime. So all the details are on our website, which is icanw.org.au slash Nobel Peace Ride. Right. And we also have a donations link if people can't join and they would like to support in any other way. Uh, we're still um, looking for donations to feed people, to run the support vehicles for accommodation and such things. But mm. yeah, but we've had a tremendous support so far, and thank you everyone who has supported us. And thank you so much, Lavanya. Great to talk to you this morning. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast. Uh, it's been a great show today uh, on the 5th of September. We've been speaking to Lavanya from ICANN Australia about the, um, the cycle from Melbourne to Canberra. Yeah, to the Nobel Peace Ride in North yeah. Lavanya Park. That's right, yeah. and we heard some voices from the send-off uh, last Sunday, it was. Yeah. Uh, we also spoke earlier to Dr Tim Jones about the history and the cultural sort of context of Pentecostalism and um, the place that it... The, place that it's playing in Australia and in our, in our politics. Mm. Uh, we also spoke earlier to Debbie, Debbie Brennan, Brennan, who is a member of PUSH, uh, which is also organising an event this Friday. Um, Friday is the date that the, um, that the teleconference from New, um, New Zealand with Chelsea Manning, who's going to be speaking at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre via teleconference. And so to, uh, the PUSH is organising an event to show support for Chelsea Manning, if you're interested in joining. The event is called Proud to Support Chelsea Manning, and you can find Push on Facebook. And the event will start at 6 p.m. this Friday. Um, and then, sounds like a good one to get along mm, to. Yeah, That's right. And then um, at uh, 7.20, we heard about um, Mr. Roboto, that song in yes, our songs of satire. Domo arigato gozaimashita. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and then earlier in the show we had alternative news, and um, I think that's, yeah. that's all that we had, but it's, it's been a pretty packed show. Um, well, we had Dee Dee Bridgewater, yes. the, the jazz um, vocalist oh, yes. singing Hound Dog, one amazing version. What a song. And yeah. Mama, Mama Thornton, Big Mama Thornton's that's uh, right. original. Yeah. Now, um, thank you for listening to 3CR Community Breakfast. Um, next up is Stick Together. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.